I understand what my mom was trying to do by like she thought she was protecting me, but she really did the opposite. She really was hurting me. And I, I saw this in like her and some of her friends where they would just just lessen the, their presence for the men in their lives. And I always thought that was such a shame. Like they would live in the shadows of men. I looked at her and I said, will you still love me if all of these things for all of these years that we have both thought were true, if I don't think they're true, if I'm not sure that God is who he says he is, do you still love me? This is the airing of grief. Conversations and correspondence about spiritual de- and reconstruction. Season 2, Episode 10, Sacred Feminine. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hi. Yes, that's me. Hello, this is Kevin. It's nice to meet you. You as well. You as well. I'm glad this worked. We've been having yeah. some hiccups occasionally. With, yeah, uh, I've actually <laughs> never used Skype, so I, was, I, I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to work. So I hadn't used it since like 2009 until yeah. we started doing this. So Exactly. Um, FYI, there is a ra- uh, thunderstorm outside my house, so hopefully... Uh, it will be good. Hopefully, it's it's good for a little bit. Okay. Well, we'll we'll do what what uh, what we can do. I guess if <laughs> exactly. it if it goes south, we can just try to reschedule or something. Yeah, probably. I was figuring that. It, it happened out of nowhere. So. Lovely. Well, um, uh, tell me some of your story. Tell me what's going on. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I was really excited to see that season two was focusing more on minorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I met Derek uh, a few months ago in Austin because I just moved here uh, at a house show. And um, at the time I was identifying as non-binary, but uh, only recently I've come out as um, transgender. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's always been part of my life looking back on it, but it is like very new to actually live it out like with more confidence. Mm-hmm. And um, just like growing up as a, as a child, I, my, my mom was the only religious person in her whole family and she like took it really seriously and she like homeschooled me and my sisters and so i had her as uh you know female role model i had my grandma who lived in their neighborhood and i had my two sisters so i just really grew up with a lot of female presence Mm -hmm. so i was always really uh just in awe and really into feminine femininity and uh i uh, so as I was growing up, I was noticing that boys would like put girls down and I just never understood it. And I always thought women were super strong and super, uh, wonderful. So, um, but, uh, I wasn't, uh, like I wasn't allowed to date anyone and I, I wasn't allowed to talk to girls, uh, on private phone calls. So I kind of had this real shelter mm. to me growing up. Mm-hmm. And then when I hit maybe about 20 or so, I started getting into uh, feminist Christian authors. And that really brought a new perspective to Christianity and to faith mm. that I'd never really considered before. Because mm. I just kind of grew up thinking like, well, men are pastors. 
but then this kind of made me realize, wait a minute, women can do just anything, just as much as you know men can do. And I was always super uncomfortable with the, um, do you know, like the conservative uh, Christian ideals for men, like you're the head of the household. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're, I'm trying to think so, like some other good ones, like uh, you're the spiritual leader. And right. I was like, I don't want that responsibility for like anybody, you know, like I, I want everyone to kind of be responsible for themselves. You know, I, I'm I'm just in this world on my own. I don't, I'm not no wiser than anyone else. I'm no mm-hmm. better than anyone else. And uh, I saw how my, um, my dad wasn't like super push, pushed that, but he definitely took advantage of my mom believing in that. So like he definitely like kind of just like was able to boss her around and she always would. And I, I saw this in like her and some of her friends where they would just really uh, like I want to say belittle, but maybe it, uh, there's a different word, but they would just lessen the, their presence for mm-hmm. the men in their lives. And I always thought that was such a shame yeah. to see. That. Yeah, and, that is, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Like they would live in the shadows of men. And I was like, but you're beautiful on your, you know, like you're amazing. Like, I don't, I don't understand this. And so that was a real hard part for my sisters. And they um, were kind of the first to leave the faith because they just couldn't handle that, like diminishing of their identities. And so they started um, kind of looking for other value and other like forms of spirituality outside of the church. Mm-hmm. But I stayed, um, even though I was starting to really reform my views, and I was starting to really be dissatisfied with a lot of the common Christian mindset and philosophy. So uh, I was still identifying as male, but um, I just found myself really just drawn to femininity and and promoting it. And then uh, a few years ago, about four years ago, I finally got to the point where I just could no longer reconcile my doubts with all the the it was like the house was just on stilts and they were just like an axe was being taken to each one of these stilts and mm-hmm. eventually it just co- collapsed after so many just science and um learning more about lgbtq identity and how that was totally valid and all these just different factors just kind of built up to the point where i just I remember like the I remember the exact moment when I just was reading for a Bible study that I was leading and I just looked at it and I was like, I don't believe this anymore. Mm. And I just you know, I just quietly left the church, like handed off my responsibilities. And it was even it was a good church and I'm still friends with the pastor, but I just couldn't do it for myself anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so that, at first it was really empowering, but then it kind of hit me that I didn't have a purpose like anymore. Like my purpose was reforming the, you know, it was kind of reforming the church. And it kind of a lot what what I saw Derek Webb doing in his songs. I I definitely really valued that as part of my identity, as someone who could come in and introduce new ideas to my peers. And I was getting some success too. and, And it was really hard to be like, but no longer do I believe this, so I can't really influence people from that perspective anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just been ever since then. It's been like a bit more of a of a, of an adventure, to put it nicely. Not knowing 
what you know where my next kind of step is always going to be. Mm-hmm. But uh, currently, I'm in a program uh, to be becoming a therapist, a mental health counselor, and I feel like that's maybe applying some of the skills and some of the desire to help people in a new way. Yeah. And uh, it's actually like in this program that I'm starting to realize like it's okay to just embrace being transgender and it's okay to, to finally like live what I've been wanting to live for since I was like, I can remember back as like five, six years old that I always, I would wish I had been born a girl, but mm. I didn't know that was an option. Right. Right. And even once I learned that it was an option, I, my first thought was, Oh, those are, you know, those are perverts. Cause that's what I, the narrative was. Yeah, and then it finally, I started meeting people outside of the church. I had to go outside of the church to meet someone who was expressing what I'd been feeling my whole life. Hmm. And when I finally met that, about three people uh, in a row within like a year, I was like, wow, like there, it, it really put a human face. Right. It turns um, out this is all just human. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it turns out. It's, yeah. And um, I mean, it's something it's, I've had one person genuinely ask me to like, if I, like they were wanting to understand it. And I was like, you know, it's not really something that's really easy to explain. I don't fully understand it myself, but uh, I know it's true for me. So that's like where I'm going to go towards. And, and maybe it will make sense in retrospect. Mm. Yeah, because it takes courage. It takes courage to live in what's true for you before you can necessarily articulate it. Yeah. And I felt like the church was always the opposite. Like you had to like to by, you know, by age six, Sunday school taught you how to defend, you know, Calvin's tulip, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and it's like, but I know some people who could defend Christianity, but they didn't really like embrace any of the values or ideals. Mm hmm. So just because they they understood it intellectually, that doesn't mean they were loving their neighbor as themselves or anything. Right. Yeah, there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference. So much of it, it like in what we're encouraged to be within the church system, tends to be that that whole just being satisfied with whatever boxes we've checked or Ooh, yeah. ideas we've assented to. And, the, you know, the, the classic in-grouping and out-grouping. And mm-hmm. yet, like, kind of how you're expressing at the same time, there's an essence there that you do feel is important. It might not be the highlighted thing. And my friend Scott said, I think, which I really liked, he said the, um, the hardest thing in his entire life had been to, uh, to cling to that essence and, and shed all of the dogma, you know, without, being, without becoming embittered toward the essence itself, which he could carry into something else. And, and I, I kind of heard that echo in my mind when you talked about channeling that passion you had into um, therapy and and counseling and all that stuff because because yeah you did learn to value something beautiful there Um, even if that is ultimately turning out to not be the context that you can exercise that passion Mm -hmm. or that gift Mm -hmm. set but yeah wow yeah it's definitely like it's kind of like well I don't believe in this anymore, but what what can I look at that has like scientific backing and, and has been proven to be helpful mm-hmm. for, you know, and that's kind of where I decided to go next. Um, Cause it, I just, I've, I've seen a lot of, um, I've actually, one, one church I was a part of had an actual split over a counseling method because it was just uh, a percentage of the congregation was just very dissatisfied with this kind of off the wall uh, counseling method. And it was just based on nothing but like 
some Christian author, you know, there's Mm -hmm. no degree or anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I think there's, I think when people decide to be insular and they, they're really vulnerable to being manipulated from, from within and from without. Yes. Um, Like uh, you see a lot in politicians too, who just are like dropping, just dropping terms that they hear and people go, Oh, I agree with those terms. And just kind of follow it blindly. And that's why it's just, I understand what my mom was trying to do. by Like she thought she was protecting me, but she really did the opposite. She really was hurting me, mm. uh, keeping me in that, that like homeschooled, you know, environment, that safe environment. Um, because she never, and a lot of parents do this too, where they just don't realize that like your kids are not you. They're not an extension of you. They have their own you know, views. And I, as much as it comes from a place of love, it still needs to be addressed that you can't protect someone from everything. Right. Totally. At some and, point, at some point you have to let, let who they are be motivated by something beyond your own fears. And yeah. It, it's, and it's all fear-based. It really is. like in the end like what's what's the real scary thing that like I turn out to be transgender like what's actually scary about that like mm-hmm. I make a beautiful woman you know <laughs> way more than make a handsome man you know so that's like what's the big deal well has has that uh is that something you said it was pretty recent as far as <laughs> so how has that been for you with family so um I have not told my parents um yet I my sisters and my cousin know and they're very supportive um, but for my parents, I'm just, we haven't been closed for, for years now. So it's one of those things where maybe one day, but not until I have more confidence and more, um, more experience behind, like I was nervous just scheduling this, uh, interview, you know, mm. <laughs> but, um, it's getting better and it's getting easier, uh, with every day. But, um, my happiness comes first, you know, my, my peace comes first. Mm-hmm. Um, so because what, what good are you to anyone else without those things? So exactly. yep. and that's something to it's been really interesting to work on in the counseling program of trying to to just like um, I'm only taking two classes and I'm not working and I feel exhausted all the time. I feel like my uh, schedule is so booked and a lot of it is just like scheduling appointments with like various, you know, like um, b- like body modification you know, uh, mm-hmm. things like laser hair removal and so forth. And, um, and just like, uh, managing social media and just things like that. And just, it's, it's like a full-time job for now, you know, just like coming out. And I wish it wasn't that way. I wish the world was just like, cool, like here you are, you know, mm. but, um, I'm in a pretty good city for that. It's not, I've never really felt unsafe here. So that's good. That is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it definitely it, the region can definitely affect, mm-hmm. you know, what what just every day is like for so many people that yeah. in, in different ways. And some so people can't is, afford to move, right? So they're just kind of stuck. Um, but I guess I also want to point out that it's interesting that the majority of people that I'm I'm kind of scared of are religious, mm-hmm. and that used to be my like identity. That might used to be my life, but now it's like, for, like Christians in general are like kind of my enemy. Because they're the ones who want to ban me from like certain, you know, like from bathrooms or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like really sad that 
um, a movement that I put so much energy in um, that I wanted to make more loving is not there yet. Right. And that's and that's the thing, too. It's you put so much energy into it. So it's not it's not an external fear mm-hmm. or it's it's something you know very well it's something I you've experienced and, and contributed to yeah. yeah so you so you know exactly the 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 degree to which that belief is motivating the things mm-hmm. the ways that sort of community will act out toward other peoples and communities and yeah, yeah. and they yeah. think they're right they think they're doing a good thing but it's just so unchecked mm-hmm. it's so uncritic you know un- self-critical mm-hmm. so they just um kind of an unstoppable force that just blindly goes out and does what they're told to do, mm-hmm. which is to, you know, resist people like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, it's definitely a time where so many issues are coming to a head, I think, in our society and culture. Oh, for sure. But I'm, I'm just so encouraged by the, the upcoming generation and how many things yeah. they are, how many arguments they're not needing to have. Like they're just, they're just growing up in a, in, yeah. in a bit wider of a perspective and that's making all the difference in the world and the way that they engage the world. Exactly. Uh, like so. I've been so encouraged by like the Parkland, um, like youth, uh, yeah. marching and just like, it's, I, I think we have a good future if we can just just get there, you know. <laughs> it's it's going to be a great future if we can make it to that future. That's exactly right. Nuclear Armageddon doesn't. Uh, I mean, oh, uh, and I mean, I could even talk about like how Christians like pray for the world to end. Like what? You know, it's like how yeah. just like how anti like redemptive that is. Mm-hmm. Like, like I grew against- up on rapture films, and oh, you know, oh. like we'd 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 go to church and watch <laughs> them on New Year's Eve, yeah. and. <laughs> It'd be like creepy Mark of the Beast stuff and people, you know, getting their heads chopped off. And, and yeah, you, you, um, when your only hope, because that would be the people who didn't get raptured, um, mm-hmm. your only hope was the world getting worse so that you could escape it. You know, yeah. like you end up in this really poisonous, um, you like want Israel to bomb it. It's like, right. Why? You know? right. Cause you know, like, oh, I'll get removed and then sorry, everybody else. But yeah, it's yeah, just, it's so dope. toxic. It's such a toxic thing. Yeah. And, and it's constantly, it was, you know, a source of, of gnawing, uh, mm-hmm. fear and anxiety oh, okay. for me as a child. And I had nightmares that I wouldn't be raptured. Yep. And, well, um, I will confess that sometimes when I wake up in the, like, like, a thunderstorm happens in the middle of the night, I'll wake up like, what's going on? Like, is it the end of the world? Because mm. I was just drilled into me. Was that the like, trumpet happening right there? Was that the gl- <laughs> glory? <laughs> be? Um, yeah, no, I've been considering rereading the uh, Left Behind books just for laughs, but we'll see if I have time. <laughs> <laughs> There's part, parts of them are eerily similar to our actual circumstance, which is yeah, the exactly. irony being that Christians now applaud this charismatic yeah. character. Exactly. Oh, but, my God. Uh, but wow well thank you so much i'm, I'm yeah. sorry our time is short but i well, so okay. i so appreciate your um your courage mm-hmm. and your your vulnerability in uh, in sharing with me today it's it's just really beautiful to hear um mm-hmm. your your story and and what's going on for you and uh i know it's going to mean a lot to other people too so okay thank you so yeah, much well thank you so much for this opportunity well i hope we can um I hope we can catch up with you again um, yeah, in I'll a keep while an here. Yeah, and and uh, and we'll we'll try to make something happen so we can. It'd be very interesting to to know what my perspective will be like eight months, from, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Just because you're in the middle of so much right now. So. Yeah, exactly.
Well, again, thank you so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate it so much and, uh, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Me too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. So this must be... This is... Yeah. Awesome. This is Kevin. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> you as well. Thanks. Do you have a, do you have a beverage? Uh, I'm fresh out. I just finished a bottle of water and coffee, so I'm, I think I'm good. <laughs> as, long as, as long as we're hydrated, that's all that matters. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I taught all day, so I can only do so much hydrating, you know? That's true. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking some time out to uh, talk and all that good stuff today. Yeah, well, I'm happy to do it. And and yeah, I guess we can just dive right in. I'd love to hear some of your story or what you're processing of late. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, where to start? I, I so I grew up in the church, um, and uh, a single mom. My mom was a single mom. Had three of us. Um, my dad left before I was born. Um, so, you know, I didn't, I just had no kind of picture of that. So we kind of found our, our safety in the church. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, I really, I can't say a really a bad thing about it, uh, until, you know, maybe as I got into high school, but you know, I, I just loved it. Um, and went uh, went to college and, um, did some, you know, I, I took the long way through school, but ended up, um, going to, uh, get a songwriting degree at a school, um, in Memphis and my, you know, because it was kind of a worship arts thing, my school, my church actually helped kind of fund, um, my year there. And, um, I mean, I was playing church music from the time I was 14, you know, I was playing for pretty much every service all year long, um, you know, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, pretty, you know, anything special. Like I was, that's what I did. Um, and, and so I came back from a year of, um, training and songwriting and then worship leading and, uh, kind of expected to become the worship leader. Mm -hmm. And they, um, they basically said, you know, you can't cause you're a girl. <laughs> and wait, and you'd already been doing it before. I had been playing on the worship team. Um, but you know, it was just like somebody else had the microphone. I was just playing the piano or playing the violin or, you know, I could sing, sing, you know, special numbers or whatever, but I couldn't ever like lead if you will. Mm -hmm. So anyway, you know, I, I went away and I, I trained for a whole year at like all this stuff and came back and ironically the worship leader at the time was my uncle and um and he's the one that basically said, you know, you can't actually lead worship because you're a girl. You're you know, you're a woman and you can't be teaching over other people. Good lord. Which um yeah. Uh you know, and, and, and so I was probably 20, maybe 24 
when that happened. Um, and I, I still tried really hard to like, okay, well maybe he's right. You know, like you, you have people around you who say things and growing up certainly in, in a church setting, right? Like where people teach over you, like you try to understand what they're saying. And you're like, well, maybe he's right. <laughs> like, and try and justify what feels so incredibly wrong. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that was kind of my, like, I felt like, I mean, I was called to do music. I am a songwriter. I've gone on, I've gotten a master's in music composition. I'm like, you know, like I, I, I'm still doing all of that stuff, but that was like really the first step for me to, to feel like the church wasn't helping me. I spent the rest of that summer feeling kind of lost um, and just feeling like that situation was, man, like, you know when something really bad happens, but you can't, like, you can't put your finger on it. And you're like, oh, okay, I, don't, I don't know what just transpired, but mm-hmm. this just changed everything. Um, and it, it went from me feeling like, you know, they would support every ounce of music I wrote that was for Sunday morning. Um, but I've released three albums and none of them came to CD release events. Very, I could name maybe 10 of them that have actually purchased my CDs. Uh, I consider myself, uh, I'm still a believer. I still love God and think he is who they were teaching me. He was, I just think that on a human level, we're doing so many things absolutely wrong. Mm. (laughs) Um, so I don't go to church anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, that was like the start of the end for me. So how long ago and was it then that you stopped, I guess, stopped going, stopped showing up? Stopped going there. Um, probably. So like on a regular basis, it was, I was probably, it was just before I got married. So I was like 25. I tried to go a little bit um, more. Uh, my husband and I got married. He was sort of, sort of liked church, but sort of just did it because he knew it was important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would always say, you know, I don't really like this church. I really like, did they really just silence you? Did they really, you know, and he was always really offended and I was like, Oh, it's, you know, it's fine. And I try and play it off. Um, and so that church specifically became a point of contention for us. Um, and you know, that was, uh, so we've been married, it'll be 13 years this year. Mm. So, you know, it's been, it's been a while. And I tried to find another church, but we live in a really small community. Um, and so I didn't, haven't really found any other ones that really work. Although um, there's this really sweet, like old Methodist church with like 14 people. And, you know, the little old lady stands up and plays the organ and walks across the stage and goes to the piano. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a female pastor there who I love. Mm-hmm. So when we do go, I go there and I, you know, we, we have two kids now and I think it's important for my daughter to see that this woman is kind of in charge, Mm -hmm. you know, at this other church, but on a regular basis, I I absolutely don't go like, I I don't want to just go and have to like, because I can play or can sing or can write them. Like, I don't want to, I just don't want to go and be used. I just want to go. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been hard. Um, you know, it's been hard to kind of sit on the sidelines 
in that aspect, but it's also really refreshing because it's so incredibly freeing to like just wake up on a Sunday morning. And, and I still, I think I pray every day. I still have that kind of vertical relationship. Um, and I, I remember feeling, you know, in my younger years, like church meant like if you weren't inside the four walls, every waking minute of, you know, when services were happening, like you're going to get struck with lightning. <laughs> You know, I mean, there's that like fear thing, right? Like God only loves you if you show up on Sunday mornings, which I don't know that most people, I don't think it's, that's obviously not true, but I think it kind of gets instilled. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, low key, conditional, unconditional love. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, there's always a string. It's like, well, right. God loves you if you show up Sunday morning. God loves you if you tithe. God loves you if you, uh, you know, are giving to the orphans. God loves you if you play at every service because you have a gift and you have to use it. <laughs> right. And you have to use it here um, in the context that we've we've determined in the way that, that we've, we've determined. determined. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I guess what yeah. the, the question it sort of leaves me for you as someone who still finds themselves in a place of, of belief is what does that look like in the way that you process theology when you haven't found, like you still believe in God, but you haven't found that exercised in your own environment or context right. in a satisfying way in community? Because, you know, isn't it hard to to hold to like such a belief structure when you don't really see it embodied in a people? Well, you know, I, I have to say... Um, you know, in a lot of ways, my, my mom embodies that. And so I was really fortunate that, you know, her, her love was unconditional and continues to be unconditional. And I actually, um, uh, about five years ago, met my dad for the first time. He, <laughs> he didn't know my name because he left before I was born, but he found my oldest brother on Facebook of all things which I just find incredibly appalling uh, still. But, um, you know, through that kind of gut-wrenching time for me, there was a good five-year period where, uh, you know, after meeting him and hearing all of his sorry excuses for why he was gone for 30 years, um, you know, I, I, went, I, I went through a, a period of depression uh, where I really... I really questioned my faith. I mean, in every level. Um, and in the midst of that, about, you know, two and a half years into my depression, my husband started having an affair, uh, which lasted for about a year and a half. And um, I mean, you want to talk about rock bottom. Yeah, geez. Right. There's um, it, rock bottom. So, um I, 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 there was a Sunday morning, I got up, um, kind of in the worst of it all in, for me in lots of ways, you know, in the this was a, like just before I kicked my husband out of the house for the first time because I just had had enough. Um, and I, you know, I, I drove to my mom's on a Sunday morning at six o'clock in the morning and I, I looked at her and I said, will you still love me if all of these things for all of these years that we have both thought were true. If I don't think they're true, if I'm not sure that God is who he says he is, do you still love me? Because all of this other love, um, 
I'm sorry, I'm crying. Oh, not at all. Uh, all of this other love that had been shown up was conditional. Mm. Right? Like, my husband loved me only when I gave him what he needed and when I couldn't for various reasons, mostly because I was depressed because of my father. You know, he found somebody else. Um, and so I looked at my mom and I just said, if I don't believe all of this stuff, will you still love me? And she looked at me and, and wept and she said, of course, you're my child. And it was kind of in that moment that if I you know, I followed all the rules every, you know, I, I have the checklist of what you do right and what you don't. And I, I could check everything off, right? Like I was that if love is conditional, you should love me. <laughs> um, mm. I've, I've met all this and to hear her continue to offer me love that was not performance based was kind of that it was, it was what I needed mm. for me to just know that maybe the church didn't get it right. Maybe, obviously, my father didn't get it right. My husband didn't get it right, but he is still working on it. We're still together. We, are, we have kids, and it's a bigger picture. He is working on it. But her love was unconditional, and that, to me, meant that everything she said she believed was true. And so the fact that I'm still alive after living through what my last five years were, and, you know, I don't say that in a trite manner. To me, that's an, an affirmation that it, God is real. Mm. I absolutely don't think on a human level the church is doing things the way that they need to. And so I would rather be home. I would rather teach my children that love is unconditional, that what God says is unconditional, rather than have them grow up and have all these people pour these things into them that I have to somehow correct when they're 18 or 20 or 25 or they're married and they're facing awful things at the age of 30. Mm. And they're having to, you know, shake out what is real and what is true. And I know as part of maturing, that's going to happen anyway. Mm -hmm. But if I can prevent the damage <laughs> from what happens inside four walls of a people who claim to know everything, you know, I'm, I'm, as a mom, I'm going to do that. As a daughter, I'm going to do that. You know, as a wife, I'm going to try and do that. such a beauty to that what I'm hearing because it's like you've got this repeated sort of theme like a chorus that comes at, you know every so often in a song where there's a masculine or patriarchal structure or person who has failed you yeah and yet in all of that I, I, I really hear empowerment in you're finding 
sacred femininity and um you know and and a matriarchal place of power and yeah from your mom and and in yourself embodied and uh, i just you know i hope that that is um not only not only the the current situation but that the future looks more like that because so yeah. much of the abuse that we see handed down uh in our society and in church culture is a result of that other thing absolutely um i i teach at a college and um uh you know i teach a music history course and the textbook that we use skips 700 years of history between mention of female composers <sighs> and uh which i find appalling um and as especially as a composer myself. So I, I'm in the process of actually writing a textbook for our college to use that fills in those gaps. Um, it's hard to find the information on the women, but they're there. Yeah. Um, but as a part of that, I am one of my current pursuits is I'm I'm uh, I've interviewed my contemporary colleagues, women who uh, are writing music, all different forms, you know, and I'm I'm documenting their work so that you know if we, if I can't change history, I can change how it's documented. So 100 years from now, 200 years from now, there is no shortage of information as far as what women are doing now um, and what they're writing. And uh, I'm actually hosting uh, our college's first panel of women in the arts as part of Women's History Month. Um, tomorrow is, is it's happening at noon. So I've got a panel of speakers, all women, um, you know, who are going to be kind of contributing on that front. So I've taken like all of these things that really for me stem from like, man, my, you want to talk about abandonment? My dad was gone. Um, my brothers kind of bailed as they dealt with their issues, uh, you know, accordingly, um, uh, you know, emotionally, they're not present. They're not available. Um, one more than the other. Um, my husband failed in, in a huge way, although he is really trying to come back from that in a, in a huge way. Uh, and, and he's succeeding. But, you know, I'm trying to take all of these things and I'm trying to teach my daughter. Women have a voice and you're not invisible and you can do amazing things. I took her to the march in Washington um, on Saturday. She and I went together. And we all protested. the way to D.C.? We went all the way to D.C. Awesome. Um, so so cool. she's, yeah, she spent all of last year reading about Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman and Martin Luther King and Susan B. Anthony and these, these people who changed lives, um, changed the course of history by standing up and using their voice. And so she wanted to go. So I was like, okay, I'll facilitate this. Let's go. Let's go together. So, you know, I've I've tried um, in a lot of ways to kind of corral all of this really inequality that I felt, really that stemmed from my uncle saying, you can't do this because you're a girl. Um, you know, I mean, he really like literally shut that door for me in, a, in the sense of how I related to the church. And so now, I, you know, I'm kind of creatively using all my passion to empower women in the arts. In, in whatever way. Yeah, because those, those things become properly engaged. They really do become that galvanizing yeah. thing, that, that, that empowering thing, and, and yeah. we're, we're forged in the fires of them. 
Yeah. And I don't like to be told I can't do anything. <laughs> like I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, my mom, uh, because she had to be super independent, super strong willed because she had to, right? She raised three kids by herself, you know, so she had this fire in her. Um, and, and I have that, I have that fire of, no, this isn't right. This is how it needs to be that we need to fix this. We need to change this. And, you know, I, if I could find a church full of people who could admit that they don't know the answers, that they don't know all the answers, mm-hmm. right? Like I, as a teacher, if I tell my class, if they ask me a question and, and they say, um, you know, gosh, ask me a question and, and I, I lie to them or I, I give them an answer that I, I'm not sure about, rather than saying to them, you know what, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Either let's find out together or let me do some digging and I'll get back to you. Right? Like if a teacher, if I, if I give them like a BS answer, they're going to call me on it every time, especially this generation. They're going to, they're going to be like, yeah, you lied to me. Right. But the church is full of people who, and of course the political scene right now, like, you know, they have the answers, they have the answers, they have the, but it's like, you know what? I don't think you do. And if you could just stop for a second and say, you know what, I, I don't know. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know why it is this way. I don't know. If I could find a room full of people to sit with on a Sunday morning that could say, gosh, I don't know, but let's see if we can figure it out. And it might actually be a healing community instead it, of a repressive one, if that was the absolutely, case. Absolutely, right? Like if yeah. people could just admit that they don't actually know everything, Man, that I go to that church. It'd be a huge. <laughs> it would be a huge, huge step one. Well, geez, um, yeah. wow, thank you so much. Um, this oh, is this is incredible stuff. Um, I really appreciate getting to hear your story and getting to know you just a little bit. Um, and and yeah. I, I wish it could be longer. I just I have to make another call here. So yeah, no, I understand. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I talked for so long. Sorry. Oh no, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's so hard to cut these off because yeah. people are amazing. Any, but uh, yeah, thank you again so much, and and I hope we get to chat again sometime. All right, thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. All right, bye. As always, our most sincere thank you to all who listen and virtually gather with us each week. I think this episode is such a testament to strength and resolve, and we really appreciate the callers for sharing the things they did in conversation. There are multiple ways to go about joining that conversation, by the way. For instance, if you've ever wanted to write us a letter to share your story rather than talking via Skype, we would love to hear from you that way. And if you're wanting to connect with us for a talk, call slots are still popping up sporadically. We've heard from so many incredible people, and beyond the episodes, some of those calls will end up going to Patreon for those of you who want to hear more. We'll continue to release a lot there between seasons. And if you haven't yet, check us out on Patreon to support the work we're doing in making this podcast possible. We're so thankful for all of you who have, and it's such an encouragement to us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, And of course, our patron community on Slack. And we would love to engage further about the content of these calls and any episodes and 
value your thoughts always. That will be all for now, so we will see you again next week after church for the airing of grief.